welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the podcast that features conversations with writers of all types. Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books has been sponsored by Once Upon a Farm Organics. Onceuponafarmorganics.com, organic cold-pressed blends for babies, kids, and toddlers. I am thrilled to be interviewing Mara Altman today. Today is the publication day of her book, Gross Anatomy, Dispatches from the Front and Back. A former staff writer for The Village Voice, Mara has written for numerous publications, including The New York Times, Salon, and New York Magazine, plus daily newspapers in India and Thailand. A graduate of Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, Mara wrote her first book in 2009 called Thanks for Coming, which was translated into three languages. She has also penned eight best-selling Kindle singles. Mara lives in San Diego, California with her husband and young twins. Hi, Mara. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Hi. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. And congratulations on your publication day. That's super exciting. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Looks like you're in Providence from your Instagram. Is that right? I, yeah, I am. Yeah, we've been following each other. Where <laughs> have you been? It's been amazing. I was like, oh, my goodness. Uh, where, where have where I been? <laughs> where is it? I, I was in Mykonos. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, it was uh, It was really fun. But anyway, back <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> um. So I loved your book. So funny. Um, how did you even decide to write this book where you sort of do a deep dive into sort of every female anatomical issue we could possibly have as women? Um, it started with the body hair, mustache, chin hair situation. <laughs> I, I was, um, you know, I wanted to tell my fiance before I got married that I had chin hair because it was this thing I was kind of hiding from him you know he I would tear up my my laser cards and and pluck in the bathroom and all these things I just wanted to get it off my chest so I didn't have to have like the anxiety of him finding out in the sunlight or something that I had chin hairs and so like I also had this moment where I was just like you know to be a complete woman it feels like I have to get rid of a piece of myself so I just did this whole investigation of like why why do we have these feelings about body hair I finally ended up telling him about the chin hair, and of course, like after months of you know talking to all these uh, you know anthropologists, evolutionary biologists, uh, sociologists, whatever you know, he's just like, okay, it's just hair, <laughs> you know, like it was no big deal to him. Um, but when it came out, like it really spoke to just a ton of people. Um, I had a lot of emails, and people felt just so much relief knowing that like they weren't alone in there their fear of their goatees, stuff like that. And and so then I just realized that there were so many other parts of the body that felt exactly the same that um that I had I had shame around and wondered if other people did and felt like if I could find the context that that shame developed in by looking at its history and like the science around it that maybe I could also kind of uh destigmatize it and, and make us all feel a little better. Thank you on behalf of everyone. <laughs> I mean, it was it, it was really fantastic. How did you dig up all the experts? Like the guy with the mirror in the cement making town, he was hilarious, and one of your waxing ladies who was like spitting out and showing you like how men might feel about your body. I mean, some of these people were just so funny and unique. How did you find everybody? I mean, some of them, like the waxer, was just like 
getting whacked like normal. That was recounting a, a story from life, you know, yeah. an unfortunate event where <laughs> I was told that I was way too hairy and that, and that men don't like to get, get pews in their mouth. She's very, um, yeah, she's like, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, the, like the, you know, the scientists I talked to and professors, it was just, you know, doing a lot of research, reading a lot of people's work, um, reaching out, uh, being persuasive about how great it would be to chat about defecation and hemorrhoids <laughs> and, you know, vaginal scent. Um, and then, and then having people generous enough to, to share their expertise and time. That's awesome. Um, yeah. when you, when you talked about in the book, when you talked about laser hair removal, you, you said something funny, which is that you, you won't pay 10 bucks for a sandwich. You say like $6, your top price for a sandwich, but you could rationalize spending thousands of dollars for someone to fry your face. Can you talk about why you think that is? Oh my gosh. I was just so, you know, desperate to, to feel better and not feel as hairy and it, it actually, it makes no you know, logical sense whatsoever. Um, but I, I also go back to like the the fact that I I drew up also all the research. There's this woman Rebecca Herzig who wrote a paper. She's a professor at Bates College about the North American Hiroshima maidens, and these were women who knew that X-ray was bad for the body, and this is what they used for hair removal in like the early 1900s. Um, and then they would go forth after it had already been outlawed for hair removal and go get it anyway. It's just they were so desperate to be hairless that they were willing to, you know, risk legion cancer and death. <laughs> so I think I was in that in that group. I was like, just give me the laser, all the laser. And, you know, I'll spend I'll spend a thousand, sure. <laughs> So you, you did so much research and spent a lot of time thinking about all these issues. Where do you come out on this whole subject? Like, why do you think, um, is it a cultural thing? Is it just evolutionary? What is it that you think makes there be so much shame around body hair? And do you feel like now you've sort of accepted and move on, moved on with it now that you've analyzed it so well? I think it's really hard to find out exactly where it came from um, because while there's been advertisers that have really, you know, done a job on, on us telling us how horrible we are or hairy, there was also ancient Greek and Romans who removed hair. Um, and, you know, I talked to the evolutionary theorist or anthropologist who said that, um, you know, Jablonski said that women are more attractive sometimes to men when they look younger and like removing your mustache and your chin hair makes you look younger because you're, you're not looking, you know, it's kind of a menopausal look, she said, to have the mustache. And I was, you know, I'm like, oh, thank you. Great. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, just investigating it, also finding out that so many other women just felt the same way um, made me feel a ton better. And just putting it out there too, you know, I, I don't have, the shame, anxiety, and I'm not hiding anymore. And I think those feelings um, really take a lot of energy. So I do the same things. I, I still, like, trim my, my chin hairs, and I, I, I shave my legs, but it's with a different feeling behind the practice, Yeah, if you know what I mean. Totally. But it's, out of, it's out of just 
yeah, this is how I want to present myself to the world, and I don't feel like I'm I'm hiding this big secret. I'm not afraid to be in sunlight, you know. And someone be like, oh my gosh, she's a she's a ruined woman. She's got a chin hair. What is that? You know, that doesn't fit into our you know, yeah. So for me, like having a chin hair when I first discovered it and didn't realize it was such a you know that so many women had it, I felt kind of like I didn't even know if I could be a woman and have a chin hair. I was just so befuddled by it. I feel like you did such a good job of having us like in the room with you as you go through this. You know what I mean? Like your all your emotions and how you felt and how you just so loaded a particular hair on your body could be. It's really uh I don't know. I really it was just such a moving <laughs> it was moving and funny at the same time. Thank you so much. And I would say also it's not that you're not hiding, but you rode topless on a bike ride you went to a nudist colony with your mom which is the funniest chapter ever um so i feel like you're, you're overcompensating now you're like look at me watch out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's also great to explore these things um having the excuse of a book behind it gives you like a lot of kind of permission to be a little crazy so <laughs> I think I am very comfortable now, but it's also like I'm investigating. That's why I'm getting the coloration of my anus looked at. So, so yeah, they go hand in hand, and I'm doing it for womankind. I'm douching for womankind so that we know about what bad sense do for us. It's a it's a mitzvah. <laughs> it's a mitzvah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you um you were, you also had this really funny chapter about um about lice in the beginning, like one of the funniest chapters, I think, called Some Knits Picked, um, when you were mm-hmm. contracted lice from your brother-in-law's kids. Um, and you set the scene at a restaurant um, by saying, the place was lit in that wonderful New York way where you can barely make out who was sitting next to you. I could mistake a Pilates ball decorated with a beard and curly hair for my husband. <laughs> I, would, I don't know. I thought that was so funny. Anyway, I laughed out loud. Then you, then you go on to talk about your feelings about having kids, which you had a lot of ambivalence about. Um, and you said, I do not often interact with kids. They scare me because they'll look at you and say things like, why is your nose crooked? Or they will smile, stare straight into your soul, and then say something creepy like, you're going to be dead. <laughs> Sorry, I think this is true, right? But it's so true. You just never know what you're going to get. Um, and now you have twins who are about a one-year-old. Is that right? Yes, yeah. And so, so they're not talking and saying creepy things yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, How? And it's, it's actually, yeah, I was really ambivalent about having kids, and um, it turns out I really like it. But I have very low expectations about it, so I think that kind of worked in my favor. I think that's, like, the key to everything <laughs> in life, right? Just, like, low expectations. And, um, yes. Uh, so you had low expectations about having kids. So how has it exceeded those low expectations? In every way, because they were just so low. <laughs> <laughs> I um, <laughs> No, but they're also just so great. It's, I mean, I, you know, the twin thing was a real, it threw me for a loop. Because I, we were like, you know, I was, I was 34, almost 35 when I got pregnant. And it was kind of that like, well, it's now or never, you know. I guess we want you know see what this is like, okay. And then, um, and then seven weeks into being pregnant, uh, I like bled a lot, and I was like, oh, there it went, miscarriage, you know. Um, and I was sad, um, which was surprising too. I was like, oh, I guess I did want to, have, you know, it was kind of informative. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I went to the hospital because they were like, oh, we need to make sure it's not a topic. 
And I went, and they were like, you're having twins. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then I said, I said, I heard that, I heard that sometimes one can eat the other in the womb or it gets absorbed. Is that true? <laughs> and they were like, uh-oh. She, she probably needs some counseling. <laughs> it was just, it was just so scary to think I was going to have, like, just, you know, two babies in there. But after I, I got with the program, um, I got excited, and then I got, like, super calm, and I had never, like, during the pregnancy, after I got over the whole, I'm having two at once thing, um, I just really got calm in a way that I hadn't before, calm about my work, calm about my, yeah, my writing, like, I usually have a lot of anxiety about it, um, and I just was, like, kind of chill, and it was, and it's kind of stuck, this uh, new mood, mm-hmm. and that's been really nice. And then the babies themselves, like, like, it's cool to see your body do such crazy stuff. And then they're actually really great people. I like being around them. They're very cute, you know? Yeah. I don't mind changing the diapers. It, it's kind of crazy. I'm like, I like, I like you oh. a lot. Well, that's convenient. <laughs> yeah. <It's> cute. <laughs> that's funny. I feel like now you have to write another book on, like, what it's like b- before and after you have kids for your body and, like, all the crazy stuff that goes into having children, especially having twins. It's a lot of crazy things. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I have, I have twins too, so I, I can relate. They're oh, 11. you do? I do. Yeah. Yep. They're, ah. Yeah. They're 11 now, but, um, I'm, oh. I'm still recovering. <laughs> yeah. What's that like? Uh, it's crazy. I mean, I also have two other kids who are, who are younger, but they're 17 months apart. And people used to say to me, you know, oh, you know, my kids are really close in age. It's, it, I think it's harder, you know, because I have to juggle two different schedules. And I was thinking, oh, yeah. no way. Like, there, it is hard having twins. I mean, not to minimize anyone exper- anyone's experience. It's all hard. Parenting is hard and, and rewarding and amazing, but, but hard. But twins, it just, like, never ends, you know, the, the competition and the, the dealing with everything for the first time, like, in surround sound, basically. So, anyway. <laughs> if, you ever, if you ever need any sort of advice going down the going down the path, since I'm you know a decade ahead of you, let thank me know. you. <laughs> and you have a podcast and four kids. Yeah, and you write, huh? I That's try. Amazing. Well, I'm divorced and remarried, so I have some time off to get anything done. Otherwise, I would get nothing done. <laughs> So that's, uh, anyway, um, enough about me. Uh, so when you were checking your head for lice compulsively during that scene, you wrote something else funny, which is during that time, I got so invested in looking for lice that I forgot about my usual terror of tumors. In some ways, it was kind of nice to mix up my concerns. Tumor hunting gets very one note after a while. So I'm totally with you on this. I'm like always convinced that like any little thing is a tumor. I'm like, you know, everything is just the biggest thing. Um, what do you think that is? Like, why do we do this? Is it just generalized anxiety or society? What do you think? I mean, I think it probably really depends on the person. It's probably, you know, um, something that a therapist could help diagnose the best. But I think for me, <laughs> for me, it's uh, where I put my stress. So, like, the more stressed I am, such as, you know, the run-up to this book tour, the book coming out, somehow everything started being a, a tumor. My, my cold, I had a cold sore because I got sick right before, and I was like to my husband, oh, no, oh, no, I think this is a tumor for sure this time. <laughs> and he was like, um, that's a cold sore. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's, I think it's just a, a channel for me for stress. Um, it's a way to... I think control it in some way. 
Um, but I don't know for everyone else. I think it's probably an individual thing. Yeah. Hello. Very, it's very, um, it's, it, it's another kind of stress. You like, you, you channel your stress into this thing and then you're like stressed about the, the best thing. Right. But then, yeah, maybe then you can go to the doctor and be like, what is this? Is it my dying? And they're like, it's a cold. So no, okay. So they just relieve your stress for you. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's, maybe it's uh, taking something that you can't control and putting the stress on something that you can do something about versus whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I like that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Glad I majored in psychology decades and decades ago. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you feel about the book coming out? Obviously, some sort of stress with the cold start and everything, but are you excited? Are you? Or do you have any worries? Is there anyone out there, like an old teacher or somebody, that you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this person might be reading my innermost thoughts on this? Oh, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, the, you know, the stressfulness is, I think, mostly, like, to be honest, interviews and stuff. I get a little nervous before. So I'm feeling really good right now. You make me feel really uncomfortable. Oh, um, this, is, this isn't, like, like really I, and I would, I would love uh, people to read it. That's like why I wrote it. I want to, um, you know, share this research and and the the things I learned. And I think my fear more would come from like nobody reading it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, I'm feeling I'm feeling very good. I'm feeling excited about. Um, the, I have like seven readings coming up, oh all consecutive goodness. every day. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, and it's like you know you're reading. You wait for a year, basically, after you finish it. I, I turned in my book, like, the day before I had my C-section. Wow. And the babies are a year old now, you know? Yep. So it's, it's a process. Um, how long? And so I'm just excited that, like, uh, it's back and it's happening. So how, how long did it take you to write the book? And then after you wrote it, how, like, what happened after that, that in, the, in the intervening year? Um, it took about... A year and three quarters to write, and that includes about three months where I did nothing when I was throwing up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and during the year, it's been a really cool year because it was kind of the perfect time to have newborn twins. You know, I turned it in, and I, I've basically been with the babies and um, preparing for this just by writing essays and um, doing interviews and stuff like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, so what um, what do you want to happen next? Do you want to write more? Do you want to write more about your body? Do you want to take it in a whole new direction? Your your essay, by the way, um, about your dog was so funny. I forgot to write down the exact title of the essay, but the, the piece in the New York Times about, which I actually told my kids about yesterday, I said, you know, the writer that I'm, I'm talking to tomorrow, when she had a dog, the dog pooped once in the, in the bathtub, and they decided, you know what, let's just keep the dog pooping in the bathtub. And so my daughter, my daughter, who's five, is like, well, what happens when her kids want to take a bath? And I was like, well, she, her kid, she didn't have kids when she had the dog for the first time, but now she does. So they wanted me to ask you if, uh, what happens? Does the dog still poop in the tub, and how do you bathe your babies? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Um, yeah, that day was called Puppy as a Starter Kid. Yes. And um, it was kind of about how uh, we ruined our dog by not training it well because just everything she did was so cute. So we, like, let her sleep in the bed and, you know, yeah, did not train it. When she, when she went to the bathroom in the tub, we were like, oh, she's a genius. 
wants to go on porcelain too. She gets it. <laughs> so we um, we have done a little bit of a better job as of late. Uh, we just moved houses, so we're trying to set new rules. Yep. Um, and hoping that in a new place it sticks. Um, but yeah, you know, if any accident happens, we clean it before our babies take a bath. <laughs> you can tell your daughter that they, they are not taking a bath in um, my dog's poop. Great. She'll feel much better. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I had um, I had a puppy a year before I had my twins, too. I feel like we have, like, so many similarities. I'm, like, not even going to them all. But, um, <laughs> and, and, like, my dog, I had a bulldog who I trained so badly. Like, it, I mean, I, she wouldn't even walk. I had to get a stroller and push her down the street. And then I started worrying, like, oh, my gosh, am I going to ruin my kids, too? Like, is this the best I have to offer in my, you know, parenting? <laughs> yes. So, like, yeah, and... Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, like you, I feel like once the kids came, it was much more natural for me to like interact with them than it was for me to interact with my puppy. Like somehow, it just you know keeping them in a crib was much easier for me than you know keeping my dog in a crate. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird, and it's very inspiring too. Than doing, I cannot live a life where I have like three beings that are like this. Totally, I can only handle one other animal in the bed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I got us going. I think on a good a good track, <laughs> even though it's a little bad for my dog. That you know, she she doesn't <laughs> she gets screechy and she needs a lot of human contact. But we give it to her because we love that doggy, our firstborn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you also talk a lot in the book about your relationship with your mom, which was also just so great and so relatable. And I feel like your last chapter at the at the nudist colony, which I mentioned already, just. To, speaks to her willingness to sort of do what she, she's like up for anything. And I see you guys like posing in pictures together and you're so cute. What has this book done for your relationship with her? It's been so sweet. Um, you know, she, she's, I tell her, oh, so <laughs> I'm like, there's so many things. Um, they're all trying to come out of my mouth at once, but um, she would read over a lot of the chapters first before I gave them to my editor. And so that was a really close you know, thing to do, and um, she'd comment, and she's, like, my worst critic, but also my biggest fan, mm-hmm. um, so that's a, it's kind of, you know, I can get mad, too, but it's always, like, she has really good insight. She's actually in the room with me right now. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, she, she's a painter, and she's, I think she's sketching me on the phone. Um, it's very cute, and she, um, it was also very informative to, to see where she really had revelations as well from the reporting, um, like the chapter about um, face it, mm-hmm. where like how do you how do you find what what do you truly look like? Can you can you pinpoint like your actual face? And you know, there's just so many now with the phones too. You're like you take twenty selfies and you're like, which one's me? And you go. I think the hottest one is me, but then what about the other ones? Are they not you? And like, you know, when a, when someone shows you a picture of you and they're like, Oh my God, this is the best picture of you. I've totally captured you. And then you're like, Oh my God, please tell me I don't look like that. You know? Um, so just trying to figure out that she, she said that was a very like liberating chapter for her as well as the PMS chapter, um, about how we kind of might tend to scapegoat our emotions into, um, you know, PMS, and it kind of made her reflect back on her 
on her own experiences with PMS with a kind of a different lens. Um, but so that's been really cool to kind of see like what what subject matter captured her attention, and then um, just to get to share the journey too. To so to go to the um, nudist resort with her. And I also, during this time, because I had the pregnancy and I was living in New York, and so I moved out to California where she is, to San Diego. And now she's on the freaking book tour with me. <laughs> and, and, yeah, it's just so fun. I feel so lucky. I love how you, um, you started the book off with um, sort of your body and your thoughts on your body were almost a reaction to her and her... Um, you know, the hippies, like being a hippie wasn't hippie enough for her, kind of the lack of shaving and the yeah. arm hair and how that really, you know, started you off on this, um, you know, exploration of yourself. And then you, by the end of the book, you point out to her how, you know, if you're so self-accepting, then why do you bleach your mustache? Like, what's that about mom? And I feel like you put her on the spot and made her really have to think about it as well. Yeah, definitely. She had a kind of revelation herself that, you know, she also wants to present herself in a way that feels feels good, you know, and that meant having hairy legs and hairy armpits, but bleaching her mustache, which we also find out in the chapter that it doesn't make the mustache invisible. Right. It makes it blonde. Right. <laughs> Very visible. <laughs> I felt like that was such a movie scene, the scene with you and the guy in the Mexican restaurant, like the waiter leaning down and looking at you and <laughs> asking if you, I mean, that was, it's just like so I, visual the way, it's so awesome the way you write. I'm like watching it on the movie in my head. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was, that was a little moment in my life, but it was good fodder. <laughs> <laughs> it's all material, isn't it? Who wrote that? So, is it Nora Ephron or someone? So like everything is copy. It's all... I don't know, but it's a good one. I think so. I think it was her. Well, those were really all my questions, but I'm so excited to have talked to you today, and I'm so um, rooting for you with your with for the success of this book. Um, Now I feel like it's going to be insulting though if I give it to someone. Like they're going to think that maybe like I think they're really hairy or they have like problems. Like if I feel like (laughs) it's like, do you know what I mean? It's here. You need this. I think it should be in the spirit of like, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Like, like it's not everyone is hairy and smelly. You know, that's kind of the thing. It's like, this is all the things we hide, but we all are. Um, and we're all doing it behind closed doors. So people don't realize that everyone is the same. Yeah. So anyone out there who I give this book to, it's nothing personal. I'm going to give it to lots of people. <laughs> awesome. I love that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for taking interest in the book. Oh, of course. Um, well, good luck. And uh, keep me posted on the twin stuff if you need anything. <laughs> I, I really, it's cool that you have twins. I'll definitely reach out. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much and best right. of luck. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode was sponsored by Once Upon a Farm Organics.